podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome along to another episode of Eurotales. This week we have a distinct American flavour. In part one we are taking a look at Italian giants AC Milan who have been extremely busy in the transfer window. Their American owners Redbird are also the owners of Toulouse in Ligue 1. The French side were newly promoted last season and shocked the footballing pyramid in France by winning a domestic trophy, the Coupe de France. RAC on the same pass, we are joined by Serie A expert Richard from the terrific Serie A sit-down show to take a look at Milan and other quadrants of Serie A with the big kick-off on the horizon this weekend. In part two, the mecca of European football knowledge, Zach Lowry, gives us his analysis on midfield American dynamo, Taylor Adams, who was strongly linked with Chelsea over the past few days prior to the eye-watering transfer of Moses Casado. Adams has a much-publicised relegation clause with Leeds that plenty of Premier League vultures will be biting at the bit to activate prior to the transfer window slamming shut. Transfer guru Fabrizio Romano reports Bournemouth at the latest club jumping to the front of the queue to sign him. Let's get into it. Thanks for joining us. Buongiorno, the big Serie A kickoff is here this weekend. Italy's top division swells into life. AC Milan, after failing to challenge for the Scudetto largely last season, have been busy this summer. Icon Pablo Maldini was ousted from his technical role, and midfield Juggernaut Tonali joined the Saudi revolution at Newcastle. Milan, however, have not sat on the laurels or the former glories. They've been very active this window. We call up Wimp Richard from the Serie A sit-down show for the inside track. The big Serie A kickoff is almost here and we are lucky enough to be joined by another man in the know that will give us a bird's eye view of Serie A with a little focus on AC Milan summer. Richard from the brilliant Syria sit-down show. Welcome to the Euro Tales abode. Tell us a bit about yourself and your adoration for Italy's top flight. Yeah, uh, so a uh, little bit about me, uh, Richard Carmen, uh, co-host of Syria sit-down. Uh, we've got this is our eighth season now with uh, Syria uh, Syria sit-down, and yeah, you know it's just been. Um, I'm a I'm a lifelong. Uh, football fan and a, a fan of city a it really you know it started as a as a youngster where i i mean, obviously i love football i love international football but i wasn't really drawn into club football until probably you know well definitely ac milan like in the mid 90s 95 96 obviously they had some great teams back then and so i've been supporting ac milan ever since then and you know i love everything about italy including the you know including the football you know just something about the tactics and everything like that and yeah as years have gone on you know um my my co-host and I, Frank Carrillo, we just you know let's let's do a podcast together. We did you know back in 2016 or whatever year it was. I don't know what year anymore. 
And we've been going strong for now. Yeah, like I said, this is a season now. We like to tell everyone we are a recap show on steroids because we talk about all 20, uh, all 20 teams, all 10 games every weekend. And so our shows can get lengthy at times, but it's fun. You know, when you when you have a passion for a league or a sport, uh, it's hard not to talk about it. We can't just shut up sometimes. That's uh, It's fine. We have lots of people who love it, so you can't complain. That's amazing. And tell us, Richard, how did AC Milan seduce you? Yeah, I, I, I'll be I'll be honest. The, the, what what drew me in was the colors. It drew me the colors. I was a youngster, uh, and you know, red and black just spoke to me. And and I started learning about more about the team. And obviously, they had the Dutch the the, the Dutch trio back then, and had all these other stars on the team. But and obviously, they were in Italy. But it was the red and black. Um, obviously, when you hear names like George Weah, Roberto Baggio, and all these other guys, you know, you're like, oh, okay, this team is actually pretty good. And then. Yeah, the first time I ever heard actually the team was back in the 94 World Cup when they had a, a Colombian player who passed away uh, just, just after a tournament. He was supposed to go to AC Milan. I'm like, oh, I, okay, I heard about the team. I knew nothing about them until I saw the colors. And really, the colors would drew me in. So, you know, I won't, I won't lie about that. And AC Milan, the subject of your obsession, should we say, they've been busy this transfer window. How would you rate their summer business? You know, it's funny because coming in uh going into the end of last season obviously redbird jerry cardinale they were coming in and there was a big rift between paolo maldini and, and redbird day after the season ends they fire maldini and my confidence level was already at 50 percent with the, with the new ownership they get rid of maldini for inexplicable reasons my, my confidence went down to zero and i said I, I one of our last episodes last season i told frank i said my confidence is at zero, but I will give them the summer to see if they can win me back. And I know many fans are at zero percent. You have to prove it to us that you were worth something. And then what the first move they do, we get rid of Sandra Tonali, the beloved fan of beloved player of Milan. And we're like, okay, this is not gonna go well right here. But they've turned it around, and I feel like the management team, the the scouting team, they found all the weaknesses in the club and slowly and very uh Cost effectively fill those voids with, with talented players, or you know, players at least we can we've perceived in other leagues to be to be talented. We'll see how it comes to fruition in one melting pot. But all the players they've gotten filled all the needs outside of just striker, and they brought in some youngsters and some talented players. And now Milan, you know, potentially have you know, obviously with Rafa Leal, a world class left left winger on the right side. Now you're gonna have on the right side you're gonna have Chiquese, who could be just as equally as dangerous. Plus you got Christian Pulisic. And you have all these other players, Moose and some other little players sprinkled here and there. And Okafor, a vice striker to Giroud. It, it's looking like an entertaining team. How it comes together, we'll see. But my grade for AC Milan this summer, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it A minus. And I also say, say this that I am back now probably to 70% in terms of where you know where I am with Milan. I was I went from zero to 70%. So it came a long way. I'm unhappy they got rid of uh, Charles de Catalare, but uh, for the most part, the, the, the summer Mercato has been good so far, fantastic so far, and there's still 20 days to go or so, 15 days to go. So uh, anything can happen here, but excellent so far. Do you think with the benefit of hindsight, did the owners make a, a pure boo-boo get rid of Maldini? Did they realize what he means to the club? You know, there's been debate about this because – there was rumors going around that Jerry Cardinale didn't even know Milan had seven Champions League titles until like a couple years ago and, and really didn't know who many of the players were and they don't know what, what Maldini meant to the club. And so we debated about this too right when it happened where we said, like, look, 
he may have this grand scheme of how he wants to run things. We've seen it work at Toulouse. We've seen it work at other places. But you can't go and get rid of a club legend. I mean, any you go any any top team in the world, you get rid of the club legend, a revolt's going to happen. And if you don't put results in the table, I mean, within a year, this, this guy's going to be gone just because the fans are going to want him out. Um, and so I think in hindsight, I think the move was correct. I Correct in the sense that he... I can see why he was gone because what Maldini wanted and what, what Redbird wanted conflicted. It definitely did. The two ideologies. Now, Redbird, everyone thought Redbird was not going to spend, and that doesn't seem the case. They, they they obviously got $80 million for Sandro Tonali, and so used that money, and then and then some. They probably spent over $100 million Euros so far this Mercato in terms of players they brought in. So in hindsight, it was the right move. The way he went about doing it was was the, the way I wouldn't do it because it just leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And I think most of us are starting to get over it. But it just – you can't get rid of club legend, especially one of the greatest players of all time. You know? Yes. Uh, he's, he's a part of the fabric of the club. We his yeah. departure from his technical role and – some of the boys that have come in, as you said, identifying gaps in the team. Is it a more money ball approach now, in your opinion? That's what the, that's what the rumor is. Is you know, it certainly happened at Toulouse, and he's he's said it, and not necessarily saying word for word, but he said that we are trying to look more, you know, smartly scouting players a little bit, trying to not just waste money fraudulently. And I think they certainly are doing that now. Let's see if it comes to fruition. If it you know this season comes around and Milan win the Scudetto and they go deep in the Champions League, okay, it was a success. We won't know until it happens, right? But that's what it seems like they're doing. They're not going for the big money players. They're going for players that fit the system, that come at it, are, are younger, a little bit cheaper, and hopefully they can turn a profit on it at the, at the end. That's what I'm thinking. I, I compared it to the RB Leipzig's of the world, RB Salzburg's of the world, where you buy them young, build them up, get them all great, and then sell them for a lot of money and just keep the keep the rotation going that way. You get you get good team that way. You get um, profit coming to the club. You just keep going. As long as you make Champions League, I think that's the, the main goal for the team. We'll see if that happens, but uh, they're going to have their hands full this season. But I very much think it's a version of Moneyball that they're trying to play, obviously adapted to more of the European game as, as opposed to you know uh, baseball like here in the United States. And you mentioned there to lose, of course, the success they had in France. Last yep. year, they were newly promoted, and then they won a domestic cup, Coupe de France winners. And their approach was the exact same. They signed players from, you know, second league in, in Holland and France and other regions that aren't scouted by Manny, and they molded yep. such yep. an effective team. I think what the bread and butter of Redbird is, and they've said it flat out, is that we believe in scouting. Our scouting network is immense, as, as, as Jerry Cardinale says. And so they very much believe in this in this Moneyball-type scheme where – I don't know, it's not a scheme, but, you know, a game plan where they use the scouting. And, you know, there's lots of teams that have really great scouting, but you have to have a vast network to really hit these leagues that, yes, maybe you hit the you know, the French league on, but maybe not the second division or, you know, second division of, of some of the other places where you need a lot more money to do it, and they just have the, the capabilities to reach these areas and, and, and get these players that maybe nobody's heard of. Um, they're still going to, they're still, I would say, like 10 teams that really scout very well, and Milan are trying to get into that fold because that's what Milan will have to do to compete. You have to scout well to compete with the Man Cities, the PSGs of the world, because Milan, and Cardinale even said, we're never going to compete with them because we, can't, we don't have the funds to do that. So we have to beat them another way through scouting is one of the main ways and i think that's the way not only milan but all Serie A teams and, and teams that are not in these you know quote-unquote um money-making leagues have to do and have to view if they want to progress going further down down and 
be relevant in football going forward. So, uh, yeah. Who from the new editions are you most excited by, mate? Oh, you know, it, it's hard. Obviously, as an American, you're going to be pulling for like Pulisic and Musa. But um, honestly, Milan have been without a right winger for a long time. I mean, I can't remember who the last time I had a competent right winger. So Chiquese is a, is a player that I'm excited to see. He, he was he was fantastic at playing in La Liga. He's not been the most consistent player, but sometimes you just need the right manager to, to pull that out of you. And so maybe seeing that competition on the left wing with Rafa Leal will urge him to want to keep continuing and bring that game every you know, every day. So I'm excited to see about him. And also, uh, I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on Okafor. Okafor is a striker or second striker or can play a winger. He can be a vice to Leal. He can play you know second striker. He can be even eventually take Giroud's spot. Uh, maybe sooner than later, you know, depending on because his age and, and everything else. But Okafor is someone I've I've watched firsthand when he went against Milan in the Champions League. What he did to the other teams in the group, he's a dynamic player who can just change speeds. Both he and Chiquese, and they both know how to find the back of the net. So I'm excited to see, you know, can they reach their potential? Because if they do, this team is going to be legitimate not only in the league but also in in Europe. And last year they went to the semifinals, and that was that was fine and dandy and all. But you know, to get back there, you're going to have to even get even better, right? Look at Real Madrid. There's a reason why they go to so many consecutive semifinals. Milan's going to have to do something to that effect, and hopefully these young players get to that potential. And as an American, I would love to see Christian Pulisic. You know, I, as much as I love him, he has the stigma of being too arrogant at times, and hopefully being in a locker room and atmosphere like Milan will calm him down, get his head straight, and he can really get to that next level because he has that he has that skill set. He obviously does. He just got to get the mental thing, get clear, and and start getting a more consistent playing field. Or, or, more consistent results going forward. So let's see. And will his arrival in Milan, will that invoke more American followers to support them, do you think? It has to. It has to because you got two two Americans on the on AC Milan. You have two now at Juventus with uh, Timothy Weah and McKinney has always been there. And there's a couple other players who are now coming to different teams as well. So more eyes. The U.S. men's national team following is huge. It's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it's really like a cult. Colt driven um, backing now, and so yeah, you're gonna have a lot more eyes now. People are, are starting to pay attention. Who are these teams? They knew about they knew about the English teams, and some of the Spanish teams, but now they're gonna start learning some of these Italian teams. And everyone knows Juventus, Milan, and Inter, but some of these other teams that these players are going to, it's gonna draw a lot more focus to the league. As when Ronaldo came to the league, a lot more eyes were on it, and same effect, but on the American perspective going forward. So you'll see. I know at least in the states, we're gonna get a lot more coverage of Italian uh, Italian football on the sports centers of the world or the highlight shows because of these players, exactly. If we use Saul of um, Toulouse as a, a case study, you know, they had a manager, he won a, a domestic cup and he still was sacked. So with AC Milan, do you, what, who is your manager? Is he Maldini's man or is he the owner's man? Is his job under threat, do you feel? So... I, I wanted to say, you know, at least initially he was Maldini's guy, but it seemed as time has gone on towards the end of Maldini's tenure that it was more of the owner's manager ver, owner's manager versus Maldini's. It seemed like Maldini wanted to maybe get rid of him. Uh, and the owners, I mean, he just won a Scudetto just the other year, not last year, but the year before. And so the owners feel that he's doing everything that they're asking him to do. They're, they're, you know, they're, he's said he wants to use their game plan, their model, and try to build upon that. I think as long as he's getting results and staying in the Champions League spots and doing going fairly, you know, out of the knockout round, uh, knockout stages of the Champions League, I think his job is fine. This will be a true tale, trust, true test this season because 
what can he do with the new players? He will he won't have a a, a grace period. I would say if if Milan struggle and don't even make Champions League this year, I can see him being out. Um, we saw with Toulouse that they will cut the strings if they have to, but. I think Jerry Cardinale and Red Bird, are, they understand that stability is what got Milan to this point. Yes, it was Maldini a lot, but Pioli had a lot to do with it as well, right? Milan were struggling until Pioli got there, and they really had two really fantastic European performances, uh, long stretches of 20-plus wins uh, during that time where they went undefeated for long stretches, and in grand part because Pioli. So I think there is some leniency with him, but he has to stay within the Champions League spot. If, you don't want to, if he doesn't win Scudetto, I think it's fine in their eyes as long as he's top four. Now they start struggling mightily, and they're maybe like tenth place going into the you know near Christmas. Eh, he might be on the chopping block, right? And how can it not be? He's one of the top teams in the league. So, but yeah, I, I think he's certainly a, an owner's manager versus Mal- Maldini's guy, eh, if you want to compare. How would you describe Prioli's sort of uh, footballing philosophy? What kind of what kind of football does he produce tactically? Depends which Milanese you ask. Uh, it varies, right? But Maldini likes to. He's pragmatic in a sense, but he also likes to use. He, he likes to observe what other teams are doing. He it's it's been famed this past year that he really looked at what Bayern Munich were doing with their pressing style, and using that in the Champions League got them really far, got them to where they were. Because I mean, they were one of the few teams, if not the only team, to really handle Napoli for multiple games, not just one game. Right? Some teams did it one here, like Inter did a one off here, and Lazio did as well. But Milan did it for every game they played against them. And they, they lost one game very tight, but they used the pressing formation. Made it very difficult for, for Napoli. And then the subsequent two following games, they beat them pretty handily. Uh, well, three games, I should say. The two legs in the Champions League plus um, the 4 nothing game at Napoli where they beat them. So Pioli likes to – he likes his bread and butter. And, and like, Rade Krunic is one of his bread and butter guys, but he's always going to play no matter how much everyone hates him, right? It's his teacher's pet, as we call it. But – he does like to take samples of where it's working for someone else and whether it's a pressing game, whatever he feels is the weakness of the team, finding other teams that use what he wants and tries to implement it on his team. So he's a little bit of an innovator, innovative manager there, uh, certainly a player's manager because he, uh, the players absolutely loved him. That's why they started performing so well is because they started backing him. If you, if you don't back the manager, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have performed as well as Milan have. I mean, his head was on the chopping block many years ago when Ralph Braniak was supposed to come in. And the way they loved him, they kind of built off of him and his innovation and trying to t- tinker little things here and there uh, have worked. And it obviously went in title two years ago with a ragtag group of guys who were not by any stretch, you know, one of the best teams in the league that year. Um, do you feel sort of that pressing style is becoming more prominent in Italian football? Tudor had a bit of success with it yeah. at Verona, didn't he? Yes, he did. It certainly is. Um Italy has went from being the Catanaccio defensive style of play to being one of the most open leagues in the world in terms of attack. One of the highest scoring leagues for the last, I don't know, seven years maybe. Uh, they've really changed the emphasis on attacking. Giampiero Gasparini has a lot to do with it. The way he, his Atalanta teams have kind of really played attacking football. But every team is starting now to adapt a little bit of pressing style, attacking style. And yeah, it's coming into, into the mix now. And what you're going to see now is different variations. It's not just press, press, press all the time, like a gagging pressing, but you're going to see um, different movements and different and different positions on the play where it's going to trigger, you know, trigger, trigger presses where you're not going to be a full out press, but it's going to give you, make teams uncomfortable. So if teams are going to find out what the weaknesses are, so if you're, if you're poor, bringing the ball out of the back, they're going to press you from the top. If you're, if you're weak in the midfield, they're pressing the middle. And you see some of these managers starting to tinker. Tudor was one of them, uh, as well as the uh, the manager from Udinese who's escaping me at the moment, and Pioli as well. 
Uh, and and Inzaghi and Conte, Conte did it too when he was at Inter. So you're going to see a lot more of this and and the different nuances in the ting, in the in the pressings. What's going to really come to the forefront, not only in Serie A but all around the world. Uh, but but you know, guys like Guardiola are the guys who kind of leading all this, and got, everyone's taking little samples of everyone else. You know, so. And outside uh, Milan, Richard, who else do you think our listeners should be on the lookout for in Serie A this year? Who are you, are you intrigued by? A lot of teams. I th- you know, we said in our podcast uh, on Sunday night, that, or sun- yeah, Sunday afternoon, where this league is even more tight and, and the parity level is so great now. Even even last year was one of the best leagues, uh, best seasons outside of Napoli's you know, great performance. The league was so tight. And I think we're going to see more of that in the top seven, top ten. It's going to be very tight this year. We made our predictions on, on Sunday, and people gave me a lot of flack because I picked Milan, maybe he's a homer pick. And they're like, why'd you put my team fourth or third? And, and I said it at the beginning. I said, look, any of the top four teams, in my opinion, who are Milan, Inter, Napoli, and Juventus, any of them can win the title. They're that good. Um, and in Lazio, you can't discount Lazio. Lazio finished, what, second at the table last year. Most of Saudi teams always get better. And, you know, yes, they lost a big piece in, like, Sergei Milenkovic-Savic, but this is still a well-oiled machine. And Roma, you can't discount Roma. Atalanta, they're not going to have your, any Europe playing. So there's a lot of teams in the mix, but I think the top four, in my opinion, which would be uh, – and it could be in any order. It's Milan, Inter, Juventus, and Napoli. Any four of them could win the title. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if between those four teams you maybe see 10-point separation. I think it's going to be tight. And like I tell people, just because I picked Milan one doesn't mean Napoli's going to have a bad year. I just think, you know, little things, little game here or there may tweak the difference and just be a couple points. So it's not, I'm not calling a blowout by any stretch. And what would be a Serie A kickoff without uh, Lukaku rumors? Where do you <laughs> feel he's going to end up, mate? Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I mean, no one in the world wants him, right? Man United didn't want him. Chelsea doesn't want him. Inter don't want him anymore. Juventus fans don't want him there. Milan fans don't want him there. I mean, where is he going to go now? Uh, No one can trust this guy. Yes, he probably has motivation on his side. So now anybody who signs him, especially in Serie A, will be like, look, I want to stick it to everybody else who who said no against me. But honestly, who wants that headache? And if you can't try, if you're just looking for the one year thing and and see what you can do, great. But, you know, it would ruin Milan's philosophy. It would ruin Juventus's philosophy. Inter's obviously, you know, they're, they're done with him. Um, and there's not many places he can go in Serie A. And, and honestly, in Europe, I think people are seeing the same thing, how all these teams are saying, what the hell, forget this guy. It's probably Saudi Arabia, honestly. I think, as you said, you know the way football's evolving and more teams adopting that pressing style. Koda Lukaku, at this juncture of his career, pull off that chase and down. I don't see it because, right, that was a big thing with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea, right? There was different mentalities. Tuchel wants you to press, 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 press. And, and Lukaku, as Thierry Henry says, he just like to hang out and wait for his moments and back people in. I don't, I don't think so. He'll have to adapt so because one of his managers is going to make it do it, whether it's you know the Belgian coach and, and, and Tedesco or whomever. They all like to press, and pressing is part of the, of the game, modern game now. So he'll have to find some way to press. It may not be the Thomas Tuchel style, right? But he'll have to learn how to do trigger presses or something to, to stay relevant in the game. Yes, goals are nice, but when you play for the top teams in any league, to win the league, you have to be you know, almost perfect, and perfect pressing is important and, and to, for a team's success, whether winning, causing turnovers, or whatever. Um, he's going to have to learn, and maybe he can. Maybe he can, but I don't know, I don't know if any team in Serie A or, or at least any of the top teams are going to want him at this point. And finally, Richard, please tell our listeners about your great show and where they can catch you. 
yeah. Uh, Syria, I sit down just like my, my handle here. You can follow us for, uh, first. Go on YouTube. Uh, we have a YouTube page. Uh, definitely subscribe, like the videos. We put out podcasts every Sun or every Tuesday, I should say. We we flop between Tuesday and Sunday, but Tuesday has been our, our mainstay. We like to watch all the games develop. Usually, any chaos is going to happen. It's going to happen Monday or Tuesday, so we like to catch all that. So do them Tuesday nights. Uh, we'll occasionally do watch alongs and stuff like that. But you can go to SyriaSitdown.com. We're on anywhere on social media: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Our podcast can be heard anywhere you stream music, you know, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, anywhere. Uh, and so, yeah, just Syria sit down. Again, recap show on steroids. And if you want to, if you're, if you just want to hear about the top teams, you hear about all teams, definitely come to us. If you want to recap the games, you miss the games, then we can come to us. We'll try to tell you. And we're going to be pretty good at um, finding gems that people, guys, no one ever heard of and talking about them early in the season. And by the end of the season, they, you know, they, these players come to fruition. And so we've been lucky, you know, knock on wood, but, you know, we like to, we like to pride ourselves on finding those gems and really bring it to people's attention there. So, you know, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. Um, we're too Milanisti, but we are very unbiased when it comes to uh, where we talk about our teams. We you know, try to do it equally. Uh, unless we're talking, unless we're doing like a live watch along, we may show our bias then, you know. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, Richard. I'll pull all the Thank links you. to your show in the show notes too, listeners. So if you want to know anything about Serie A, if you're a beginner or if you're a nerd, it's the place to go for all your Italian football needs. Richard, thanks so much. Grazie. Grazie, Richard. He described his recap show as analysis on steroids. As you can see, his Serie A knowledge is also on steroids. The famous red and black jerseys of Milan takes to the field to take on Bologna this coming Monday. It is a new era in the orphan at the San Siro. The Italian joints intend on moving forward with a 4-3-3 setup. Milan, American-owned and with American players, will be hoping their commercial advances in the States further evolve. The club's chief exec said in a recent interview they've noticed an e-commerce explosion in the USA since the signing of Pulisic. He's not alone in the midfield ranks as an American warrior, Musa, was also headhunted by Milan's new-look scout and sell-up. The American Musa, who has the potential to be a dynamic attacking midfielder, has shown a level of ambition already by boldly choosing the former squad number of legend Ronaldinho. He's an adept ball carrier and, for the most part, press-resistant at this stage of his development. Musa was procured for just €20 million Euro from Valencia, which may well prove a bargain. He found himself in Spain after a stint with Arsenal's under-19s. Many believe Musa will not be in the shadows of Pulisic for long, even if he is not an immediate starter. The 20-year-old is one to watch this season, as highlighted by featuring in the Athletics making the top 50 exciting players for their under 23 to watch this season. Thank you once again Richard for your time and expertise the link to the Serie A sit down show is in the show notes. You're listening to Eurotales where European football stories are explored one at a time make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode Now another little American link Tyler Adams, sticking with our American team, leads this. Tyler Adams was said to be on the cusp 
of a move to another club in a transfer frenzy induced by those maniacs, Chelsea. Last Friday, according to reports, he travelled down to London to undergo a medical. He has been experiencing an injury cloud which kept him out of Leeds' championship kickoff. Instead of signing with Chelsea, he found himself returning to Yorkshire in a limbo after he was stood up by Chelsea, who went on to smash Brighton's coffers again with a barnstorming bid from Moses Caicedo, continuing their assault as they approach a billion pound spend under Todd Bowley since he walked through the door. Where will Adams end up? And what kind of player is he? We asked co-founder of Breaking the Lines, the magnificent Zach Lowry, to give us a lowdown on the player prior to his Chelsea move stalling. Here's what Zach had to say. Tyler Adams to Chelsea is a really interesting signing. Um, I've been following Adams' development since he was in MLS, and uh, we actually had the chance to interview him on Breaking the Lines during his final few months as a New York Red Bulls player. And since then, yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, pathway for Adams, you know, developing at RB Leipzig, having a very good first year in the Premier League with Leeds United, despite their relegation. I think he did a very good job in filling uh, the Calvin Phillips void. And he's somebody who I think, despite not being um, as as gifted on the ball or as uh, just e- exciting to watch as someone like Giovanni Reina or Christian Pulisic. He's somebody who, you know, I, I can f- clearly say is one of, if not the most important players for the U.S. men's national team. For me, he was our best player in the World Cup. And uh, I think that he would be a very interesting pickup for Chelsea. You know, he he's somebody who... Uh, is is skilled at playing multiple positions, but I do think that his best role is kind of as that box-to-box midfield destroyer, very good at, at winning back possession, breaking up play. Um, you know, he, he's capable of filling into other roles, but I do think that that's where you want him. Um, and he's an incredibly intelligent footballer. Uh, you can clearly tell by his by his career pathway that, you know, he's very humble, down to earth. Uh, and I think that that's something that is going to carry him very far because he's just somebody who is consistently put in the work to improve his game, to reach the top level. He's somebody who, yeah, is a very good leader. You know, I remember um, Leeds fans, they were talking about him as a potential captain for him, a uh, potential captain at Ellen Road, and you know it's it's clear that his leadership and uh and above all just what he demands from himself and his teammates that that's something that's that's very important it's the reason why he was given the captain's armband in cutter so yeah i think that this would be a good pickup for chelsea it remains to be seen if they can pull off the deal for moises caicedo but it's clear that they need a defensive midfielder um you know they they don't have a player who can partner Enzo in that pivot and, you know, free him up. And I think that Adams would do a very good job of that. Thank you, Zach. As you can see, the transfer window moved so fast that Zach's analysis of Chelsea now comes in 
to maybe a Bournemouth spectrum if you're a Bournemouth fan. Adams' move to Chelsea has stalled. He's previously attracted interest from injury-ravaged Aston Villa. The 24-year-old had a minor hamstring surgery in March, but is said to be on the cusp of return to action. He has 36 international caps and captained his country at the Qatar World Cup. The dysfunction of Chelsea's transfer whirlwind may have disappointed Adams, but his calibre will ensure other admirers will emerge and are emerging. £20 million is a snip for a player with obvious potential in a red-hot Saudi-infused transfer market. Bournemouth are reported to be sniffing around, according to transfer guru Fabrizio Romano. The young American is a product of the Red Bull juggernaut. He left New York Red Bulls in 2019 and spent three years in German football with OB Leipzig prior to joining the Leeds mission last summer. Wall a player, whoever gets them, will have on their hands. Thank you, Zach. The link, of course, to Breaking the Lines is in the show notes. Well, that's all we've got time for you. Thank you to all our guests and you, pop friends, for listening. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Please, 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 please rate and review our show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Give us five stars, right? Great, good, really good. It is so important to us growing and attracting even bigger names to give you the best guests and content we can. Serie A is kicking off. All the action is coming back on board. Enjoy the weekend. Get your fancy football teams ready. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Don't miss us between episodes. Simply follow our socials, links in the show notes, or simply search at EuroTalesPod on Twitter. EuroTales. Podcast Network.